There's a conspiracy afoot that's pulling the world into darkness. Information is the new battlefield. Propaganda, disinformation, and media manipulation dominate the minds of the public. Join us on the Dark to Light Show as we remove the head of the snake and expose media censorship, social and cultural engineering, and the unfolding global conspiracy of the New World Order. All right, welcome back to the Dark Delight Show. My name is Josh. Hope everybody is well. Jim Price is traveling today, so you got just me, just like the old times. All right, so it's uh, becoming an eventful Friday already. We are starting this week uh, with the Fed not doing anything with the interest rate hikes, but then immediately we have all the Fed governors coming out and saying, hey, uh, you guys got to raise these uh, these rates to tackle inflation. Um, and you got to ra- raise them uh, pretty dramatic. And, I, you know, talking to Dr. Kirk Elliott about the rate hikes is to really curve inflation. You have to be uh, about a 1.5 to 2. Point, uh, two times the amount of the actual inflation that you're seeing. So if we're seeing about 35 to 4% inflation, we have to have about a 6 to 7% inflation rate in order to curve that, which traditionally will bring about a uh, an inflation within the retail market to about 18 to 20 to 30%. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing right now is we're seeing that high level of inflation hitting the marketplace. Um, you know, I was just listening to that commercial there. They were talking about uh, the the price gouging of the automakers. And, and this is absolutely 100% true. Think about how this operates. Since COVID-19, when production was put on hold, the supply chain was put on hold. These companies lost a lot of money during that time. So when they came back and inflation started to rise, they added in extra profitability within the raw materials, within the production cycle, within the retail markets, so that they could make a little extra profit to make up for what they had lost. Well, guess what? They never they never lowered prices after that point. So there's probably a good 8, uh, eight to 11% price transition on everything that you're buying right now that is just price gouging it's just profitability built into the price with the inflation and yes inflation actually is really really high in comparison to what it was 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago and it is something to be concerned about especially if you are a home buyer uh the 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 housing market right now is crumbling we're having less and less mortgages being opened up. Banks are letting off their complete mortgage teams. Rates are increasing the 75 to 8.5%, which is kind of interesting if you think about it. And the reason I say that is because, you know, th- there has to be a level of profitability built into all loans. But, but when you start seeing, you know, the, the interest rate, the Fed rate, the interbanking rate at about 4.5%, 4.3%. Um, you know, the profitability between banks is, is a half a percent or a quarter percent and stuff like that. So you got to wonder, how does it always double when it gets to the retail market for personal loans um, or for mortgages? And that's kind of the interesting tale of the take because they got to pay for all the people involved in the process. I get that. But still, we could have mortgage rates down to 5.5%, 5.75%, very, very easy. Um, if banks just cared, if banks seriously just cared. And this is why I said yesterday, uh, actually, I've been saying this for a while, that we're going to see a transition towards privatized capital and owner financing into the real estate markets. Th- this is my my guess. 
And I think there's actually been a lot of preparatory work in, in order to do this. Now, the reason I say that is because if we look at the housing market right now, it's becoming more and more difficult for a family to go out there and own a single family home. There are great programs out there for first time home buyers and such, but still, when you start adding up property tax, you start adding up mortgage insurance, homeowners insurance, the cost of the mortgage, that price exceeds typically what the average American makes per month. And you want your mortgage to be probably a little less than 50% of what you're pulling in each month. Well, there are some things that we observed throughout 2022 and 2023. Number one is that companies like Goldman Sachs, uh, BlackRock, J.P. Morgan Chase, in 2021 and 2022, these companies were out there buying up massive amounts of real estate within Florida and California and various other states. Now, they weren't just buying up single-family homes, because they were, but they were also buying complete communities from home builders. So home builders would go out there, they would build a 250-model community um, during the pandemic. And then it would just sit there. And so BlackRock would go in there and they'd buy the whole 250 homes. Well, a lot of the time they have done nothing with those homes. And now when we start looking at the situation that we're in, it starts to make a lot more sense. Now, let me piece it together for you. Congress, uh, the Financial Services Committee, has just proposed uh, a new bill that's going to go to the full House floor for a vote of banning the Federal Reserve from creating central bank digital currencies. Well, guess what? In order to implement their globalist wet dream, they don't need central bank digital currencies through the U.S. Fed. What they need is privatized cryptocurrencies. Now, the Bank of International Settlements a few months ago put out a framework response to what they're doing in the sense of cryptocurrency, what they're doing in the sense of the development of a global blockchain. Now, the integratory blockchain, which they call the unified ledger, is going to integrate various cryptocurrencies from private organizations. Now, you got to wonder, what do they mean by private organizations? Are they talking about things like Bitcoin? Well, yeah, things like Bitcoin are definitely going to be involved in that. But what they're also talking about is privatized digital tokens that are created by large financial institutions. It should be no surprise that the same three banks that I just mentioned, J.P. Morgan Chase, BlackRock, and Goldman Sachs, have all announced very recently after that Bank of International Settlements report comes out that they're all developing and creating their own internal digital tokens. Now, how will these digital tokens operate? Well, it's my guess because a lot of these financial institutions own massive amounts of businesses and corporations is that that they will allow their token to become an intermediary for any transaction of ownership or any transaction of goods and services within the grasp of their corporate ownership. How does this work? Think about parallel economic systems. That these companies will go out there and they'll create their own parallel economic systems. And with those parallel systems, you will get a discount if you use their inline digital token. Well, how does that have to do with real estate, Josh? Well, really easy. Now what happens is Goldman Sachs comes out when interest rates are now 10, 11, 12% by a mortgage through a traditional bank. Goldman Sachs comes out and says, hey, we have houses in these areas 
and we're offering them at 4% interest. But in order to get that mortgage, you have to purchase it through our own inline digital token. And your mortgage must be paid in this inline digital token. And then BlackRock does the same thing. Then JP Morgan Chase does the same thing. And then there becomes a mass adoption of these inline digital tokens that begin to facilitate these own inter-economies of these massive conglomerate corporations. And it begins to stem off from the traditional free market economy and a move towards a centralized private economy. Because that centralized private economy is still working with government regulators. It is still following the quote-unquote law as prescribed. But it is also now implementing the draconian measures of what we call environmental social governments or inclusive capitalism. Not only that, is they'll give you the option to say, if you buy our inline digital currency, our central bank digital currency that we're creating privatized, we're going to give you ownership of the blockchain. You're going to be a part of the decentralized autonomous organization, which basically allows you to have voting rights. We know how voting rights work in the United States of America. And guys, that's what Klaus Schwab said in his 2014 book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution of Stakeholder Capitalism. Now, stakeholder capitalism is a little bit different. It's where the corporation who produces goods, products, or services does all the business decisions of what they do next, not necessarily in line with their shareholders, but instead with the governments, with the environment, with nature, with their clients and customers, and with other business organizations around them. In other words, it turns into the same system utilized within communist China. This is where we're moving to, people. This is what is happening right now in our country, in this world. This is the transition that is occurring. I'm actually writing a book on all of this right now. This is why this stuff is fresh in my mind. And if you want, we can actually talk about money. What is money? What, what is money? Where does that word money come from? Let me ask you that. Does, does anybody out there know where the word money actually comes from? Where this word was created? what the Latin root derivation was for it, and what the occult symbolic meaning of the word money actually, actually means and how it actually transitions into something that is actually on the $1 bill. We're going to talk about that and much, much more when we get back here in a minute with the Dark to Light show. We'll be right back. Dark Delight on the WYSL stations. All right, back to the Dark Delight show. This is going to be an interesting conversation, I assure you. Now, one of the things that I've done for the last 25, 30 years is I've studied what's known as the esoteric mysteries. This is the mysteries of the deep inside the body and the soul. And then as well as investigated and researched the occult. Now, the occult isn't something to be afraid of. It's just a word that means hidden from the eye. And it pertains to knowledge, information that has been kept out of the public purview and out of the history books. 
Now, there's a lot of information within this body of knowledge. Money just happens to be one of them. Now, the English language itself is an inversion of a lot of the, the, the Latin words, uh, a lot of the Greek, Latin, and Hebrew words. Now, in the sense of the gematria or the, the numerical understanding of these words. And I can get into the words in a second if we need to, but there's really, there's no reason to that. We can do that in another show where we talk about the root structure of words and how etymologically all these words derive. But one quote I will give you is Rudyard Kipling, the author of the great poem, If, and the, the great book, The Jungle Book, once said, I am but a dealer in words. And of course, words are the most powerful drug known to humanity. What does he mean by words being the most powerful drug known to humanity? Let's think about it for a minute. All revolutions that have occurred in history have occurred because of words. All wars have started and ended because of words. All religions triumph over others because of words. God said, in the beginning, there was the word, the logos, the thought, the idea, the concept, the vibration that translates into meaning, the symbol that is represented by the internal expression of the archetype, the archetype being the neurological firing, the emotional significance that derives from the inner psyche. Now we're talking about money here. So what is money and why do the words have this deep meaning? Well, the first word that you need to understand is the word understand. Now, this is one of my favorite words to actually talk about is the word understand. And the reason I say that is because it is one of those words that has had its meaning greatly reduced in significance in society. The conceptual idea behind the word originated in ancient Freemason lodges. Now, if you're a naysayer in the Freemasons, not Freemasons aren't evil or anything like that. The average Freemason in your town is, is a good dude who's just trying to make ends meet and who's getting ordained into the mysteries. Um, there are various parts of the Freemasons, when you get up to the higher echelons, uh, that might conspire. They become, you know, the Knights of Malta and so forth, and they they spread out from there. But that's, that's completely different than what we're talking about with the regular Freemason lodges. So it was the Freemason lodges where the story originated, where the story was told that in order to build as a Mason, you must stand under your work. Therefore, trusting your skills and knowledge in masonry, that you will be willing to risk your life standing under your work and on the foundation you built. The word understand derives from the idea that you have built a foundation of knowledge and information and that anything that you talk about or bring out into the world, you must stand other you stand under and on top of the foundation. Therefore, risking your reputation, risking your life. Really interesting concept to bring into your mind with the word understanding. 
Now, the other word is money. Money. Now, before we get into money, there's a few things you have to understand about money. Number one, in the private industry, money is exchanged through banks. Banks control the flow of currency. Right? And if you are out in the world and you do a crime within your small local town, you get a charge upon you. And from that charge, you have to go to a court and the judge oversees the court and the judge sits on a bench. Where does all that stuff come from? Where do all those words come from? Well, interesting enough, and kind of you can find some historical context for this in the Bible, is the ancient Phoenicians were actually from the land of Cana, the Canaanites, the ancient Hebrew Canaanites. And the ancient Canaanites were the merchants. These were the merchants of the old days who went on their boats and traveled down into the Black Sea and the rivers and so on and so forth and brought various different supplies down in those areas to the various people. Now, the word merchant itself, the word merch, Myrrh. It literally means transit of water. By the water is what it means. So the word merchant is by the water. A ship by the water. Now, give you a little analogy of kind of how this operates. Because we got to remember how laws or organized this day and age. And there's two sets of laws. Number one is there's civil law civil law, and then there's the laws of money. These are better known as the law of the land and the law of admiralty. Now, all government, all corporate laws, all laws that you see portrayed in front of you today are not civil. They're not laws of the land. But they're laws of water. Let me give you an example. The Canaanites, they would flow up and down the rivers and set up shops selling goods and services. These are the ancient Phoenicians. So they're also the ones that spread their language, which had became the foundation for, for Latin and Germanic languages. And so how did they flow? Well, they would flow with the current of the river. And they would go between the two banks of the river. The banks of the river are what control the current flow or the currency flow. And the currency flow brought the dependency upon the goods and services that were being shipped from upstream. Starts to make a little sense. Now, the laws of water or admiralty, the laws of the high sea, really started establishing themselves many, many years after. We had the laws of Hammurabi or the Code of Hammurabi, which really dictated this stuff within the land of Canaan and Babylon and so forth of how these actually operated. And a lot of those laws translated over into admiralty law, eventually the Magna Carta, and eventually into um, U.S. law that we see today, the U.S. Code.
Now, there's certain words out there that kind of have these these meanings, right? Let me give you this one. The Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty has to sit in water because she's the Statue of Liberty. When I was in the United States Navy, at 4 p.m. every day, we would get liberty. What is the difference between liberty and freedom? Liberty is one of those interesting things because etymologically, the word liberty is freedom from your pain and suffering, freedom from your indenturement, as in it's a two-transitional state, that you're chained and shackled, and then you're free. Liberty is the granting of that freedom. This is why the Statue of Liberty has the chained shackle on its leg. In the court system, you have a judge which sits on a bench. Did you know that a bench is nothing more than a word for bank? Go look it up. Bench means bank. And the judge is the referee of the court. You play basketball on a court. You play tennis on a court. In tennis, you also play with a racket because court is a racket. Now, the interesting thing is, is when you're in court, before you enter that court, you have to walk through a wooden gate. This is traditional within maritime law of entering the quarter deck of the ship to where the sovereign, the judge, presides over. And the sovereign deals with the various accounts the various accounts on that ship, the flow of money in that ship. Now, when you go in there, the judge reads the accounts against you from the charges, like a battery, like energy, right? Electricity, flow of water. You have counts against you. Our court system is nothing more than a representation of admiralty law an extension of admiralty law. When you're walking past those wooden gates, you are walking in to a sovereign's jurisdiction, walking out of the jurisdiction of a free man on the land. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole free man movement. I want to get into the definition of money. Now, I'm going to give you another example of admiralty law and how this operates. The U.S. GDP is dependent upon the goods and the services produced by this country. This means that everything that is produced inside of this country that stays in this country, as well as all the imports that come into this country. When they come into this country, they come in primarily through ships. Ships come in and they go to a dock. They're called docks because the doctor of the certificates are the ones who take them in. But actually, the dock is called a berth. And the ship enters a berth canal. And when it comes in place, the dock master produces a certificate of manifest. Because the supplies, the goods on that ship just manifested right there in that berth canal. All right, we'll be right back with more Dark Delight Show. I'll talk more about this. Sitting in the morning sun 
I'll be sitting when the evening comes. Dark Delight on the WYSL stations. All right, welcome back to the Dark Delight Show. Now, I, I'm getting into the definition of money, but I'm giving some examples of how admiralty law actually operate in our country. And actually how this is the system of slavery that we actually have right now that people don't even realize. I was talking about ships coming into the berth. The dock master is the one that produces the certificate of manifest. And once they have the certificate of manifest, they go on there and they take the goods and services off the ship. Or sorry, they take the goods, the products off the ship. And when they they do, they have to produce a birth certificate for all those goods. And that birth certificate gets filed with the state and then eventually the country and adds, increases the GDP of the country, the gross domestic product of the country. And what do we see is that these sound eerily familiar, don't they? That a human being is born through a birth canal, after the mother's water breaks, that a they're delivered, they're delivered, means they were shipped, they were delivered by a doctor. The doctor signs the birth certificate. If the baby was stillborn, it was stillborn. It just has no value, so they have to file the death certificate. These are real terms, people. There's different worlds of how words work. We have a regular, regular language. There's legal language. There's corporate language. There's government political language. Words have different meaning and context in different situations. The captain of the ship, the word captain derives from the word capitol, capital, which represents a production of money, the movement of money. So what is money? Well, we kind of hinted towards it, didn't we? Hinted towards it right here. That money is, in a sense, energy. But where does that word come from? The word money, if you break it down in English... It kind of looks like mon I. Well, that is interesting. Isn't it on the back of the dollar we have the all-seeing eye, the one eye? The word mon or mono means one. I means I. The one eye, mon I. Huh. That's kind of interesting. The the M-O-N prefix also derives from the same prefix of the moon or monarchy. The one rule, monarchy, one rule, mon I, the one I. But the word actually, which is, by the way, that, that is the significance of the word. Monesha. M- Monesha is a Latin word that is representing an epithet of the goddess Juno. Do you know who the goddess Juno was? The Roman goddess Juno, or the Greek goddess Hera. She's a goddess of love and marriage. Now, Hera is more significant here because I was just explaining to you what all that stuff was happening in the sense of maritime admiralty law. But Hera 
was the goddess of marriage, women and family, and the protector of women in childbirth. She was promortified in the sense of marital unions, of the legal arrangements of how contracts or marriages were operated, relationships were operated. She was also the protector of everything that dealt with birth, with birthing, with fertility. Now, interesting enough that Monetia, Moneta, Monesha, it's Monesha in Latin, but they call it Moneta. Moneta, where the word money comes from, is an epithet of Juno. So Juno and Hera are the same thing, just different cultures. You have to remove the cultural attributes to find out who these people actually are. So Juno had a connection with the idea of vital force, the fullness of vital energy, the eternal youthfulness. And the word moneta is representative of that epithet, is representative of the epithet of vital force, the vital energy, the spirit dwelling within you. So the one eye, the mani, the one eye, is an intermediary. The money is an intermediary of exchange for your life force energy. Now you might be like, yeah, okay, Josh, that's a stretch. No, really. Let me show you. Right now, you go to, right now, a lot of people are sitting at work. Now, a wise man once told me that if you work for somebody else and you receive a paycheck, that paycheck is nothing more than a bribe. A bribe to forget about your dreams and the work for somebody else's. Because at the end of the day, the owner of that company is living all of their dreams and you're not. Now, if we look at this further, what we see here is that you are expending your energy, your time, your life force. That is your life energy. Time is another representation of your life force. The vital energy inside of you, which allows you to go out and experience life and have great experiences and love and, and appreciate nature and, and, and your children and, and travel and, and do the things that bring you happiness. That's your life force that does that. But instead, we exchange, exchange that life force for manai, for money, for moneta. In exchange, we get an intermediary of that exchange. That intermediary is paper, it's money. And then we can take that intermediary, and we can go out there and we can pay... We can pay for a house. We can pay for a car. We can buy food to nourish ourselves and increase the depleted life force within us. We can travel around the world and bring ourselves an inkling of happiness. But money itself is nothing more than an intermediary of exchange of your life force. And so when they say that the money that we have is being inflated. When they say that we don't have a money system, a monetary system, we have a credit and debt system. And that happened 
primarily in 1868 with the passing of the 14th Amendment, and then 1871 with the passing of the Organic Act of 1871. Specifically, what they did is they took admiralty law, the law of the high seas, really is the law of contract, the law of relationship, the representation of Hera and Juno, the ancient goddess cults. And they fortified it within the 14th Amendment. What do I mean by that? The 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution, which came about in 1865 at the end of the Civil War, is probably one of the most important constitutional amendments that ever happened to this country. And the reason I say it's the most important is because it never needed to happen. In the Declaration of Independence, which is one of the foundational legal documents of our country, it states that all men are created equal. That they're given these rights, freedoms by their creator. Their creator is the only one who can give them those rights and therefore take them away. But the 13th Amendment comes out and says that no human being should exist in a state of slavery, or involuntary servitude. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that already established? All men are created equal. But what is it really saying? Because they use slavery and involuntary servitude. So I always look at the inverse. What is the opposite of involuntary servitude? Well, it's voluntary servitude. What's the opposite of slavery? Well, that's freedom. So what the 13th Amendment really stating is that in the United States, you can exist in a state of freedom or voluntary servitude. Now, what's voluntary servitude? It's nothing more than contractual law. It's a contract. It's a relationship. Now you enter the 14th Amendment, which comes about in 1868. All persons born, there's that word again, that money word, born, birthed, born, in the United States. Capitus Alimaxius Maximus, Roman canon law, shall be known as citizens of the United States and fall under the jurisdiction therein. And shall have the rights, the the right, the Oh, sorry, they shall have the liberties and privileges granted forth. Did the 14th Amendment really just reestablish the doctrine of freedom? It absolutely did. It completely negated the Bill of Rights. Basically, what it did to the Bill of Rights is it transitioned the United States Constitution into a contract, a legal contract between the people and the government to limit the government's powers into a social contract limiting the people. That's what the 14th Amendment did. And how do we know this? Look at the definition of words. The 4th Amendment of the United States Constitution says that all all people are allowed to be secure in their persons. What the heck's a person? A person is a human being, 
a legal entity, a corporation, a fictitious, a fictitious entity. Well, why is that? Well, you have to go to Beringer's Dictionary, Law Dictionary, to understand that. You have to look up the definition of a monster. A monster is a human being that is not a human being, that is disfigured, disformed, that is not representative of the natural human form birthed by a female woman. So what's a monster? It's a legal contract. It's a legal identity. It is a representative identity. Be right back with more Dark Delight Show after this. Dark Delight on the WYSL stations. All right, back to Dark Delight Show. Last second, I'll try to I'll try to wrap this one up. This is a this is a tough one. But we were just talking there about Monesha, right? Juno, where money derives from. Money's your vital life force energy that's in continuous flow, and that. We no longer have a money system that's dependent upon actual representation of value, but instead a credit and debt system, which is nothing more than a system of slavery. And that system of slavery is dependent upon contractual law or laws derived to keep you in a perceptual state of slavery, of debt. And I was describing the... 13th and the 14th Amendment. I was talking about the 14th Amendment and how the word person is eerily similar to the definition of person in the 4th Amendment. The 4th Amendment stating that all people are to be secured in their person. Person being a legal entity, a legal identity, a monster, a construct, a fictitious entity. And so in the 14th Amendment, the word person is not defined as a human being. It's defined as a legal entity. So when a legal entity is birthed in the corporation of the United States, they are known as citizens. So when a human being is birthed in the United States, they are given a birth certificate. That birth certificate is issued a social security number. When they're 16, they're issued a driver's license. They're given a passport. They're given a draft card. They pay taxes. That is the fictitious entity of who you are that does those things. And that's what the 14th Amendment is talking about. It's talking about the fictitious entity. This is why the fictitious entity, the person in the 14th Amendment, doesn't have rights and freedoms. They have liberties and privileges. Remember, liberties are those that are granted from the servitude, granted from the pains and the sorrows. And privileges are always granted from a higher authority downward. The 14th Amendment enslaved you within contractual law. Because within the 13th Amendment, they made it legal and possible to do so, stating that human beings exist in one of two states, a state of freedom, or voluntary servitude. Congress then went and created a corporation. That corporation became nothing but a peddler of contracts. Once you entered into the contract, you became falling under the jurisdiction of the 14th Amendment, which has a very transient 
interpretation of the Bill of Rights. And if you go look at the majority of the Supreme Court cases, they all begin to rise up right after this 1868 amendment enters into the Constitution. Well, soon after this, we have the Organic Act of 1871, or the Act of 1871, which incorporated Washington, D.C., Now, I hear a lot of people talk about this, and people talk about this all the time and how the United States is a corporation. The corporation was actually enacted in 1868, again in 1922, 1932, 1933, 1927, People have an interest. Number one, one of the number one purchasers of the corporate entity of the United States in the Act of 1871 was the British Crown. That's right. If you go to London and you look up corporations in 1868, the British government established a corporation of the United States. Not only the British crown, but they had another investment. There's another point of that investment. And that was the Vatican, the Holy Sea, S-E-A. Yes, water, the flow of money. The Vatican are the old Phoenicians. They are the Canaanites. That's a long story there. I don't have much time to get into. But the Holy Sea invested into the United States. And the Holy Sea in the Vatican has a corporation known as the United States of America. And then incorporated in Washington, D.C., they have the same thing. The United States of America Incorporated, to where Congress and Senate become the board members, and the chairman of the board is the president of the United States. Now, what they say is that all the jurisdiction, what they're trying to establish is that the Washington, D.C. is different than the rest of the country, that it has to be separate. It can't be a dictating entity of the laws, the rules, and the regulations of the country and then therefore fall under the same laws and rules, which makes a lot of sense. And that was actually established within the the actual Constitution. But what they ended up doing is they began making these rules to where wherever there was a federal post office – The post office represents the inner exchange of information. That that becomes federal territory. And that post office can have expanded jurisdiction. And then you have federal land. Well, did you notice that there's post offices inside of grocery stores? Did you notice that every home has a post office box that is legally protected under federal law. Every American citizen pays a federal tax, a federal revenue tax, because inside your pocket, you carry a fictitious entity that is owned by the jurisdiction of Washington, D.C., the Act of 1871, which is why you fall under their jurisdiction in the first place. You ever wonder why you pay property tax? You don't own your land. 
You need to get a land patent for that under a 501c3 trust or a 503c2. CB. Uh, yeah. 504c. Ah, I forgot what it was. 501c3 trust. Got to go get your land patent. That's the only way you ever own land. Got to get the issuance of that land patent. But if you're paying property tax, you're doing it wrong. I don't care if your property tax is $20 a month. I don't care if it's $100, $100 a year. What happens when they begin to increase that property tax? And it becomes $10,000 a year, $20,000 a year. Got to remember, Klaus Schwab says you will own nothing, not even land, because nature's going to be off limits in their new world. And see, isn't it very symbolic of how our money is being devalued at the same time that life on the planet is being devalued? That hyperinflation is skyrocketing, which is the value of our life force, the interchangeability of our life force, and they are depopulating the planet. Interesting concepts. I urge everybody out there to go out there and, and study this stuff. And uh, one of my mentors was a, ge- a gentleman by the name of Jordan Maxwell and knew him for many years. And he taught me a lot about this and really where to look on this. And you have to go to a lot of old books, a lot of 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century books to learn and understand really where the derivation of these words came from, what the meaning of these words actually meant. And how they viewed these ancient gods and goddesses as actual archetypes that operated within the world and then were deified, immortalized through the representation in civil society. Like Moneta, Juno, Hera, being representative of money. The transition, transmutation of the life force. That's all we have for you today. Here with the Dark Delight Show. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, please let me know. Redpills.tv is the best place to check me out. Other than that, you guys have a great weekend. We will talk to you next week.